You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and last week I introduced today's guest, television's, indeed American entertainment's, man for all seasons, by sharing with you quite literally the way I first introduced him to my audience nearly 30 years ago at this table. Well, I won't show that video clip from so long ago again today. Suffice it to say, I noted then that my guest Norman Lear ruled the world of television in the 1970s and 80s with such great comedy programs as All in the Family, Maud, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, The Jeffersons, Sanford and Sons, and on and on. Comedies, yes, but they had much more to them, impacted importantly upon American thought and perhaps American behavior, and certainly roughed up thoroughly, and one might guess purposefully, some hidebound notions of what can and cannot be said and done in public, particularly on the air. They also paralleled and certainly in time were accused of aiding and abetting a general loosening in American manners and morals. And on our most recent program, Norman Lear and I discussed the so-called moral majority's efforts to strangle the new look he had brought to mass entertainment and further to undermine Americans' traditional tolerance for speech, even the kind that embarrasses often undermines the niceties of our times. So let the conversation continue. And Norman, welcome back. And we, were, we ended last time with a reference you made to John F. Kennedy's description of liberal thinking. What uh -huh. was that? And in three seconds, <laughs> this glorious staff of yours uh, found the, uh, the uh, quote so let me read it to you. Well, it's CUNY TV that manages to produce people who manage to produce that. Well, I bless CUNY TV. But let me see here. John F. Kennedy said, but if by a liberal they mean someone who looks ahead and not behind, someone who welcomes new ideas without rigid reactions, someone who cares about the welfare of the people, their health, their housing, their schools, their jobs, their civil rights, and their civil liberties. Someone who believes we can break through the stalemate and, and suspicions that grip, uh, that grip us in our policies abroad. If that is what they mean by a liberal, then I am proud to say I'm a liberal. And I gather that's yeah. what you stand and on, And I am proud to be that liberal. But when they say someone who cares about the welfare of the people, their health, their housing, their schools, their jobs, their civil rights, somewhat, I mean, what, what, what he means, I am sure, or at least what I uh, infer from this, is I have to step back sometimes to see that the next guy is adequately treated or, or, or equally treated. I have to pay a little more in taxes. Current Republicans, wherever you are, I have to pay a little more, in, in the Congress that is, 
uh, I have to pay a little more in taxes to see some equality exist to, to help. Uh, I, this defines me entirely. You remember Politically. Ed, you remember Ed Murrow had a program, This I Believe, and I gather that's what you're saying. This I believe and everything I do stems from this. I would belief. hope everything I do stems from it, yes. But Norman, let's, let, let me question before we go back to some of the other things we talked about. Let me question seriously the conflict between those who say, all very well and good, we share your warm and generous sentiments about our fellow men and women. Uh, but let's realize that in the past, and that's why your valued Declaration of Independence and Constitution were created, we learned that if government becomes too big in providing these things, we lose our liberties. Have you no sympathy? Uh, I have to admit, I don't have much sympathy, but you're a more sympathetic, feeling person than I am. So I have to ask you, don't you have some real feelings for those who say, hey, Norman Lear, that, that First Amendment that concerns you, that freedom of speech that concerns you, these things are put in jeopardy by a government that provides all the goodies you want it to provide and grows larger and larger. Question to you. You know, the government has grown larger and larger in those terms occupied, uh, those administrations occupied by the people who find that outrageous and threatening and so forth. Uh, don't ask me to prove it now. That's what context is all about. That's why a half hour, if I was sitting with somebody on Fox, and they want to know right now and so forth, and it might take me a week to dig it all up or somebody else to help me do it because I can't do it myself. Uh, if there were context, what I just said is very provable. The government has always gone larger when the people who are against that occupied the throne. Uh, if, if a leader would help us understand that we are all as human beings. Help us understand who we are as human beings. Help us look ourselves, not just as Americans, but as human beings in the mirror and see our truth. I am as capable as the next guy to be greedy, to lust for power, and to use it poorly. We are born that way. And maybe that's if there is a leader there someplace you know, that's what our test is. There are people who can have all the power in the world and get it and use it very well. And there are people who don't use it well. And they're, when, they're, when they're after the unions, because there have been union chiefs who lusted for the power, got the power, and turned out to be as greedy as the next guy, but not all union chiefs. And not all people in, 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 uh, in corporate America. But certainly there are people in corporate America who lusted for the power and the greed that, is, that we are all capable. I couldn't wish to strengthen that more. We all have these capacities. 
and life is a series of decisions and whatever helps you make those decisions. But uh, if we understood those basics, I think this, the whole question you raised, which I'm not about to, uh, which I, 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 don't, I don't know what started me on this. Well, <laughs> I, I, I put something to you that perhaps as I think about it, in terms of what you say, uh, everything has to have its setting. Give me time to put it in its setting, and I'll respond to you. Maybe I have a better way of getting going about this and saying, Norman, we met, not really met, but I watched you and your creations. And I think back to Archie Bunker. And I think back to the Jeffersons, or Archie Bunker's expressed thoughts about blacks. And I wonder how you feel about thinking back to Archie Bunker and thinking about the President of the United States today. Mm -hmm. Real progress? Does it satisfy you? Do you think, my goodness, we're here, our problems are over, we've licked racism, I'm happy? What's your state of uh, happiness about what's going on in America today. I mean, think of the difference. Archie Bunker on blacks and a black man in the White House today. Mm -hmm. What's your take? I wish we, there was a national conversation. I wish we had a real national conversation uh, that put all of that in context. You know, I, I, I'm a, I ask myself now, uh, as I read more and more about, uh, about Justice Thomas, if he were a white man, uh, would there be, uh, would he be under a, uh, a, a bigger microscope? Would the media be dealing much more heavily with the problems that are raised around him if he were a white man? The ethical conflict the, of interest. The, the, yes, yes, with the gifts and the, and, and so all oh, well, it's very complicated. But uh, I tend to believe if he were a white man, there'd be far more of a uh, uh, hard look by the, on the, by the media and others, and certainly in the Congress, certainly in the Congress. And, uh, and you're asking me about the president. Yeah, I'm and, not going to let you just I, talk and, about Thomas. And I, I, the only reason I mention Thomas is I think, it, I think if there were a true discussion, a big, broad, that, that, that would be important to the country about race and about the president and America's attitudes towards him and so forth as a result of his race, uh, Justice Thomas and everything else would be included. And, our sports figures and you know it's a very complicated and and wondrous uh conversation we don't have it not on a national level not where and maybe we don't have it right now because there are so many other things like like existence for so many people like just getting through the day you mean economic existence the economic issues yeah well, but I can have a conversation unless you put it off limits, and you know the open mind is uh, it's notorious or 
well thought of, depending upon where you sit. Mm -hmm. uh, for this, I'm not going to push you further than you want to go. I'm really looking for Norman Lear judgment. Norman Lear, the man who has judged many political things over these last mm -hmm. 30, 40 years. Your judgment about the present president of the United States. Yeah, roll up your sleeves. <laughs> I had hoped uh, <coughs> not necessarily fairly, because what did we all know about Barack Obama as he came along? It, by the way, it, it, I happened to introduce him in my home when he was running for the Senate. So I had the opportunity to meet him then before uh, he, uh, he uh, ran for the presidency. So uh, I don't mean by that I've known him intimately. I have not at all. But I had a taste of his aura and, you know, and then, of course, watching him through the years. I had hoped when he became president that he would, would father us better than he has, having nothing to do with his age, his youth, inexperience, all of the uh, you know, stuff that, uh, that Fox hammers at vis-a-vis uh, -vis how uh, able he was, how much experience he had to take the job. Uh, there was something about him, I thought, what I was talking about a moment ago earlier, that he could help us look in the mirror and see ourselves as we really are, as human beings. I don't say that, you know, thinking, oh my God, how terrible we're going to look, or the ugly American. It's not what I have in mind at all. It's the truth of our humanity. I thought he was big enough. Uh, I'm not saying he isn't he, uh, big enough. It just could be he is not elected to. But I had hoped for that in him, as young as he is. I had hoped for that in him. Uh, you know, I, and I think it's, the, I, th I thought, uh, their, their pillow talk, Mrs. Obama and the president, has got to be more in line with what I'm saying. Just the, what they've been through and what they've studied and how accomplished they are and I don't know. So he hasn't spoken uh, or helped us understand the context of our lives. I'm back to that word. And, uh, and I thought, that's my greatest disappointment. I thought that's what we were going to get, or could. You think we can from him? Yeah, I wouldn't wish to, I wouldn't wish to wake up uh, any morning without hope that anything good can happen. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I, I continue to believe that he has that capacity, and that's where he came from and comes from. You, we opened this program with your reading John F. Kennedy's description of a liberal. Mm -hmm. uh, you're a liberal. You and your liberal friends, I hey, gather. my liberal friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that you pejoratively. Yeah. <laughs> I know that on the morning after the election, I opened up the door. There was the New York Times. 
I knew Obama had been elected. I had watched him make his great speech late that night in Chicago. And yet when I saw the headlines, I was thrilled and thought, as old as I am, I can go now. Maybe it's time and go happily because of what my country did in electing this man. I wonder how, I'm, I know you felt that way. Oh, of course I and felt I, that way. I'm really, you know, yeah. two days ago, three days ago, I saw a, uh, a, a film that Jonathan Demme made called I'm Carolyn, Carolyn Parker, I'm Carolyn Parker, a black woman Right after Katrina, he went down there with a camera. I think he went down there with a camera, just alone with a camera. And he brought this camera to uh, uh, New Orleans, and he found this woman in the lower something side. And the camera and he fell in love with this woman. And she's a big, heavy, 50-some-year-old woman, not well-educated, suffered uh, terribly in, the, in, in Katrina, she and her house. But he went back there five or six times. Uh, uh, he was going to do something about all of Katrina, but he, I think he found in this woman what I found the most common wondrous thing in our, in our humanity. No education, no, just uh, she, I don't know how to uh, put it, this is fresh in my mind, it's only in the last couple of days, but I think about it when, when uh, you talk about looking at the Times the morning after the election, and I think we all felt that. The thing that, that, uh, that music can do when we're all collected and a part of it. Uh, and that's what this film did. And that's what I felt that morning, and that's what we all felt. And that's, I guess, what, what happens when there is a Katrina and everybody, for a moment, feels the pain of somebody else, you know, and love is in the air. It's, it, uh, you know, I don't... I used, to, I used to be afraid to go into these places because it sounds treacly and so forth. But, uh, but I have learned that in those huge crowds of people standing in the hot sun at one day in Austin, Texas with my 15, then 14-year-old daughter, uh, Austin city limits, watching 25,000 people standing still as a weed in, the, you know, in, in this hot sun, uh, listening to just some small tune in the, in the middle of a big rock concert, but a, now a quiet song. And they're of all races, ethnicities, ages, all is one. And that's what, I don't know, that was the feeling looking at the New York Times <clears throat> when we elected our first black president. Well, it, How quickly it dissipates. That's the problem. Why aren't we holding on to that, knowing that Sure, we may not agree with his tactics. This conversation, yeah. not the conversation, but its essence, is what our president wants to be about for us. 
I think there's room in it. I think, I think FDR's fireside chats had, if, if, if there wasn't a word that was this, it was the fact that it was a fireside chat and Dad was talking to us. See, that's the trouble. You and I, just about the same age, with the same um, memories of FDR, of a kind of leadership that maybe, maybe you can't have today in what you've criticized as the, the split moment of our attentions. We don't, we don't sit and watch. We don't hear. We, we Twitter and do those things, uh, limited what to 140 words. Uh, you said before, and I've read you writing this, that in the morning you, you get up and you feel good. You have a faith that it'll all work out. Uh, you still feel that way? Is it still oh, I, <clears throat> I do. I, you know, I love waking up in the morning. <laughs> well, it, so do I. It's the best thing I do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my favorite piece of philosophy, maybe this hits it, is uh, a, a man should have a, uh, it might be Talmudic, I don't know where it came from. A man should have a garment with two pockets. In the first pocket should be a piece of paper on which is written, uh, I am but dust and ashes. I am, you know, a fragment of the particle of the, on the beach of earth. Uh, in the second pocket, a piece of paper on which is written, for me, the world was created. And I think between that yin and yang, you know, just understanding, you know, we are one among billions upon billions in a planet of which there are millions, in a planetary system of which there are millions or billions, or, and we're just this one individual. But who was it all created for if not for me? Any morning I wake up, you're still in New York doing this glorious show, guys behind that camera, all for me. People who found the candidate, <laughs> all for me. You're very much impressed by that, uh, Norman. So you must be impressed by modernity. And despite all the things that have happened thanks to uh, the quest for wealth and brevity, mm -hmm. We're, uh, we're further along than we were in many, 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 many ways. Uh, yeah. I don't feel that way because I'm an old man, and as I say on this program so many times, I'm the pessimist, you're the optimist. And it's always my guest who's the, the optimist. But you use the word... Well, frequently. are you sure you're an opposer? You know, you're in that role because that's what you do on that side of the table. Good question. Uh, I don't think so. I think... I don't know, I came out of the Depression somewhat differently than you did. You came out bouncing around, you're going to do these things. I came out, I guess, thinking I'm going to study them and I'm going to teach them. But maybe that's the difference. You have a certain set of, uh, of um, endocrine glands that 
make for this and I have a certain set that make for that. I remember Maud. I remember uh, one of your Maud programs in which that theme was very clearly there. Um, uh, and I remember my friend Norman Cle uh, Nathan Klein, the, the psychiatrist, uh, commenting on, on that. He's especially with manic depression? Yeah. 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 Uh, a oh, wonderful, brought, wonderful man. He brought lithium to... Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, he, I brought him to California when we did two episodes of Maud on so, manic depression, and I needed, you know, the clinical help. And he came out, and we spent some time together, and he was the consultant on these two episodes. Terrific man. Oh, I loved him. I thought he was when great. You, when you go and look at our website, look for Nathan Klein, too. I will, I will do that. Look, we have two minutes left. I'm, I'm signaling. Uh, Norman, uh, I'm being signaled. Norman, what do you think is the most important thing that you want to leave uh, as a message? I don't mean on this program, though here we are. What are you trying to tell people? Uh. Out of a rush of, you know, I should have thought that this, uh, we'd wind up here with this question. It seems now that I hear it, of course you'd, it would wind up here. Uh, you know, but such things as at the moment of commitment, the entire universe conspires to assure your success. Uh, I, I couldn't believe anything more. When you, we fool ourselves into thinking we're committed to something, but we don't, we're not always committed. But when we are, the phone rings, we find something in the street, somebody says something that we didn't expect or we hear it a different way. At the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to assure your success. Perfect way to end the program and to thank you for joining me again. And you've got to come back 30 years from now. We'll follow this conversation. How about 30 weeks? Okay. It's okay. a deal. Thanks, Norman Lear. And thanks, too, to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time. Meanwhile, as another old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other open mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash open mind.